0: So here's where we are, if you hadn't been with us, we're in week five of a series that has been admittedly heavy. I would say it's the heaviest series that I can recall in recent memory, at least for me. There's been so many comments, about what God has been showing us as a church and you individually, the stories just by the nature of them are very heavy. But if you hadn't been with us, can we talk about it as basically a series about how does the gospel of Jesus Christ intersect with emotional health? Obviously we've come out of a difficult couple of years in our country, in our church, in our communities, and so how do we then, how do we then take the gospel, the unchanging message, and then apply it to some of the emotions that are admittedly almost like a roller coaster? And what our baseline was is we said way back in the fifth century, there was a guy named Augustine and he said that our emotions are very much like smoke from a fire. The emotions are like smoke indicating that there is a fire somewhere. And so while we have been looking at various emotions, what our goal is is to go beneath the emotions, go beneath the surface and then ask the reason, why am I feeling that way? Why do I struggle with covetousness? Why do I struggle with depression? Why does shame cripple me? Why am I a bitter person? Those are the things we're trying to uncover. But today we're actually gonna look at one that is the most frequently mentioned command in all of the Bible. Now, If I were to tell you, hey, what's the most frequently mentioned command in all the Bible? Some of you would go like, be holy or read your Bible or give a tithe or don't have sex with somebody or whatever. You're like, that's what he's gotta, it's not. There's actually a command in various, various admonitions that... It's mentioned 366 times. It's like for every single morning, this command is there, and then one for leap year. So in various ways, whether it says be courageous, whether it says do not be afraid, or fear not, or don't be anxious, what we're gonna look at today is what is called fear. Now, I would say this, initially, when y'all heard the word fear, I didn't even want to put it in this series because I'm like, man, I mean, fear is so surfacey. I mean, it's. I even looked at the top like 10 fears in our country and it's like number nine was clowns. Now granted, that is a legit fear. Clowns are creepy, okay? I'm just saying no clowns at our fall festivals, all right? That's just a rule. We just, they scare, they scare kids, they scare adults. But that's not really like a, you're not gonna preach a whole sermon on clowns. But then you get other stuff. It's like spiders and snakes and needles. Uh, The other ones, you know, drowning. Bugs, heights, <laughs> the, number one, the number one was public speaking. So that was a little freaky just right there. But here's, what I, here's what, when I read that list, I was like, all right, that's kind of surfacey. But what God showed me is when you get beneath the fear and you look about what fear shows up at, fear shows up in things like anxiety, nervousness, dread, stomach issues, loss of sleep. What you come to realize when you look at the Bible is that fear is the opposite of faith. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And so fear is the opposite of faith. You got to realize that it's not doubt. People say the opposite of faith is doubt. It's not. If you have a lot of doubts, you can be a good disciple. A lot of the disciples of Jesus had doubts. I mean, about some big stuff, not, not small stuff like where did Cain get his wife or what about dinosaurs or whatever. It's like the big stuff. They had doubts about the resurrection, And so the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. And what God says 366 times is, don't do that. Because what he knows and what we're gonna see in the history we're gonna look at today is that what fear does is it paralyzes you. It causes you and I to not walk into the promised land that God has for you. Now what we fear, by the way, we always fear one thing and that is the future. You don't fear the past because it's already in the past. You might regret the past. You might wish the past had not happened, but what we fear is we fear the future. We fear future loss. We fear future pain. We look at it and, we're like, and it causes despair. I'm not sure God's got this. I'm not sure God's gonna come through. What if I lose my job when I'm 55 and I've got 10 more years and I'm 55 and I can't find a job, what about that? What happens if my 401k tanks? I'm not sure God's got this. What if my prodigal never returns home? What if I never get married? I'm 37 years old and I have no prospects and the biological clock is ticking. What if I never get married? What if I do get married and get divorced? What if the cancer comes back? The fear of what happens if I get out of this toxic relationship that I know God's telling me to get out of, but what happens if I get out of it and all of a sudden there is no other relationship? So, what God showed me is fear is a big deal. Fear keeps us from walking in obedience to the Lord. So here's the here's the background. There's a book in the Bible called the book of Numbers. Where we're gonna look at today is about a year, maybe a little bit more, than a year after the Exodus. And the Exodus and If you're you're kind of new to Bible study, the Exodus is that enormous moment in the Old Testament where God rescued his people from slavery after 400 years imprisoned in a place called Egypt. And so what happens is they're going into the promised land. They're not too far from it. And then God takes that time to do things like, all right, set up the tabernacle, give them the law, do certain things, prepare them to be his people in the land that he had promised way back in the first book of the Bible. But what happens is for about 10 chapters, it goes pretty good, which by the way, the reason it's called Numbers is because Moses was the guy that was supposed to organize this approximately two million people, get them into groups, organize them. It's like herding cats. I mean, how do you get all of these people to go into one place? And so for about 10 chapters, it goes pristine. A lot of good things are happening. Right around chapter 11, it starts to go south and it goes south in a hurry. They start complaining about God's provision for their lives man, this quail is nasty, this manna, what kind of cornflakes are you giving us? And they start getting mad at Moses and Moses' family actually gets mad at Moses and so it's all this stuff is percolating and then we get to Numbers 13, verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now, if you underline in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible app, make sure you do which I am giving to the people of Israel. This is what is known as a promise. God is a promiser and God promised, listen, you will have this, Genesis 15, you will have this land. We know from another passage, this is the second time he'd say, go in there and get it and they balk at it. But here he comes to them a second time and says, listen, I know you're weak. I know your faith is small. I know you're scared, and so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gonna have Moses send some people up into the land, and they're gonna bring back this great report about how awesome my promise is, and then that'll convince you. And so, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man. There's 12 tribes, so there's 12 men being sent up. Every one a chief among them. Verse three, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now, here's what you gotta understand, just etch this in your mind. What this trip was for was not to seek the will of God, it was to reap the will of God. It was not to pray about, hey, I wonder if God would have us have this, that's not it. He's already told them, I've got this for you. So they were not there to seek the will of God, they were simply there to reap the will of God, walk in the will of God, God had already made a promise to them. And so he sends out 12 men. You only remember the names of two of them. There's reasons for that. Because two of them show faith, 10 of them show fear. 10 of them are cowards. 10 of them actually are on the list of the forgotten. And you don't remember their names now. Nobody names their baby after those 10 at all. Now, partly because their names are weird. Or they got some crazy names. I mean, you got names like uh, Shamua, Ilgal, Shofat. I mean... I mean, do not name your baby Shofat parents. I mean, it, that will not go show well for them in high school at all. It's like, it's gonna go very bad. Shofat's no, gonna, gonna get a, he's not gonna get a date, all right? So don't call him that. But part of it's their, part of it's it's weird names, but the bigger reason is, the bigger reason is, is that's the list of the, that's the list of the forgotten. Those are the ones that are gonna make an excuse. Those are the ones that are like, I know what God wants from us, I just refuse to do it. And here's the, here's the bottom line, is, is you're either gonna make an excuse or you're gonna make a difference and you're gonna be really good at one of the two. You can't do both. And so two of them say, we're gonna make a difference and their names are Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb go forward and you hear babies all the time being named after Joshua. Heck, we got worship leader named after Caleb. And so here's what happens. Then he lists all these names. They go in there and he's like, here are the instructions. I want you to go out there, bring back a report. And so skip down to verse 25 and let me kind of set what's going on when they bring this report back. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. So they've been gone for almost a month and a half. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel. In other words, you got all these people, they're crowding in. They can't wait to hear this report from their leaders. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them The fruit of the land. The previous verses talked about how the fruit was so amazing, they cut off a bunch of grapes and they put it on a stick and they're carrying it back to say, listen, this is amazing. What God has promised is amazing. But then it says this, and they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Milk and honey was an Old Testament metaphor for abundance. It's bounty. And so the question right here on the floor is, were they gonna move forward in faith to God's abundance or were they gonna be paralyzed with fear and stay in the barrenness and in the wilderness? And that's actually the question for all of us all the time. Am I really gonna sit down? Am I gonna trust God in this area or am I gonna not trust God in this area? It comes down to that so often. Am I gonna trust God with my marriage or am I gonna not trust God with my marriage? Am I gonna trust God with my money or am I not gonna trust God with my money? Am I gonna trust God to forgive somebody who hurt me or am I gonna not trust God? It's just over and over and over. And so they have that choice as well. And just as we mentioned last week, faith, because I know faith has a bad name today. You got a bunch of crazy, crazy, preachers that talk about, man, you just have faith and it's gonna, be, it's gonna be all cotton candy and Cadillacs and nothing will be difficult for you. That is not true. Faith is not denial. Faith is not fantasy. Faith is not like, oh, it's my cancer. I just, in Jesus' name, my cancer didn't come up. That's not it. It's, it's, not, it's not, it's not denial. It's not putting your head in the sand. It's not saying, you know what? If I just believe hard enough, it's just not gonna happen. It's not a denial of the facts. It's not positive thinking. It's not, it's not, it's defiance. What it is is saying that God has said some things and God can't lie. God has said some things and I believe what God has actually said and I don't think he is forgotten. He is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. He is a billion and oh. And I'm gonna believe that actually when he said something, he means every single word of it. And so the question for you, the question for me again is: uh, Am I gonna, am I gonna believe God? Am I gonna believe God's promise and move into bounty, or am I gonna not believe God's promise and stay in the wilderness? Let me give you just—I wrote down a bunch of. Am I gonna believe God in a relationship that you need to end? Without a doubt, there are people today and you're listening, and God has said clearly, this is a toxic relationship. Every time you are with that person, it brings you down, but you are scared, if I break that relationship off, guess what, what if there's not another relationship that's better around the corner? Some of you, again, you you struggle, you love Jesus, but you cannot obey him with your finances. You just can't, and you're like, well, you're being harsh. I'm just saying statistically, this generation of Christians give less than the generation of Christians during the Great Depression. You get scared, why? Because uh, God said, hey, I want you to share your faith, your story, I want you to share your testimony of grace with that person over there at the country club or at the social activity or at the PTA meeting. You're like, man, I don't wanna be a weirdo. I don't wanna be looked at like some Jesus freak. Or you're sitting there and you, uh, God just said on the way to church, you need to apologize to your spouse. Well, I don't want to, I'm gonna look bad. And she was wrong at least 50% of it. And he's like, "You, you own your part. By faith, you're scared to get in biblical community because if you get in biblical community, somebody actually might know you and they might actually ask how you're doing and you gotta say something besides, I'm blessed and highly favored. You gotta say something besides that. You're like, well, I can't help it, I'm scared. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Scared is a feeling. And scared can be good sometimes. Scared, Scared can keep you alive. There's nothing wrong with being scared You teach your kids what? Hey, don't touch the hot stove. And so it's not bad if little Scooter's scared of the hot stove. Why? Because you know, if he touches the hot stove, it's going to burn him. But scared and fear aren't the same thing. You can be scared and then go through it in faith. That's called courage. That's called biblical faith. I'm scared but I'm still gonna go through it because God told me to. And you do that day after day after day. That's what the Bible term for is called endurance. It's just showing faith and courage each day. God wants me to do this. It might not be awesome on the front end, but God told me to do this and I'm gonna trust that he knows what he's saying. So here's the way it goes. Verse 28, it's about to get real. However, and here's a little Bible note. Anytime you see the word however or but or instead, when it's attributed to God, that's a, that's a great thing. If, if, the whole, if the sentence is attributed to God and you see the word however or but or instead, that's a good thing. Like Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us has saved you. That's a good one. But when however is attributed to us, to people, it's almost always bad. It's almost always, I know, I know God told me to do this, but I can't do this. I know God wants me to do this, but I'm not gonna do this. So last few verses, go to chapter 14, verse one. So they bring back this report. It's like, it's great, it's awesome, but it's gonna be difficult. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. I mean, how whacked do you have to be to just like, okay, we're just not going back. And all the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I hope today goes better than it did for them. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. When you and I are that fearful of something, it plays tricks with our mind. Egypt was not good. I mean, what had just happened? God had rescued, what do they think? They're gonna waltz back into Egypt? All the soldiers had been killed and they're gonna walk back into Egypt and they're gonna go, oh, it's great to have you all back. You two million people, come on in. No, it's not gonna go well. What they're saying is, listen, God brought us out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. God showed us how to, where to go from with clouds and fire. God fed us quail and brought cornflakes to the ground, but he's just gonna back off and let us die here in the wilderness and the people are gonna come and they're gonna brutalize our wives and they're gonna brutalize our kids. I mean, how whacked? Does it have to be for you and I to look back at that kind of history and say, God did that back then, but he's about to not do so now, and and I'm just fearful, and let's just go back to Egypt. Egypt was where they were slaves. Egypt was where they were captive. Egypt was where they were beaten, and they'd forgotten about God's provision. I thought, you know what? I do that too often. Something comes up, I and mean, if, if, if that was anything, I don't consider myself really a fearful person, but there were some times when I, th- I wouldn't say it to you, but I've thought that kind of stuff during the last couple of years. I mean, what if this, and why is this, and why, it was better back then, and why did you allow this to even happen, and yada, 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 and never once did I hear a big kerplunk of God falling off his throne. I'm just glad he didn't like strike me down, but bottom line is we think that because we forget what God has done, and then we don't think what God will do in the future. So a few more verses, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of difficult word, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And just on the front end, again, just as a reminder, if you're new to our church, this story is not about, hey, be a, be, a, be a Joshua or be a Caleb or be a Moses. All right, I'm the kind of preacher and we're the kind of church that believes this whole book, including the part we're in now called the Old Testament, is a neon sign that is pointing to Jesus. And so what you and I need to understand is, listen, Jesus is the greater Moses, all right? What Moses did is Moses goes up on a mountain and gets the law. What Jesus does is Jesus fulfills the law and then goes up on a cross and then dies for lawbreakers. So you don't go, oh, look at Moses, look at Moses. Moses is a sign pointing to Jesus. And so when you're in this story, it says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And I don't remember what he's saying, the Lord will bring it, he will give it to us. It's not in their ability, it's not in their practice, it's not in about, oh, it's really, they're really not really bad, those Canaanites, that's not what he's saying. Verse nine, don't, don't miss verse nine. That's, that's how we're gonna kind of spend the next few minutes. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And that's the part that the Lord sort of showed me kind of a rhema, it's like, listen, fear leads to rebellion. Fear leads to doing something or not doing something that God has clearly told me I am to do. And what he's saying is this, listen, do not not fear. Don't fear those people. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us, so do not fear them. So here's what I wanna do. For like the next 10 minutes, I wanna try to show you how you have to You have to feed your faith. And bottom line is, you will either feed your faith or you will feed your fear. One of the uh, terms that I learned this week, I actually hadn't heard it. I'm trying to think where I put it in my notes. I think I called it, uh, what is that thing called? Uh, uh, Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. scrolling Doom scrolling is this generation's taking their phone and then getting up in the morning or whatever and just going through their feed over and over and over and over and over and over and and just reading it and scrolling down and scrolling down and scrolling down. And after you look at that stuff for an hour, that is feeding your fear. And so what a lot of us do and what God showed me is I had gotten into the habit of when I get up in the morning, because I'm a early riser, I go to bed early, but I get up early and so normally when I get up early, it's super quiet. It's like me and Ranger and that's it. Gracie doesn't even get up, okay? So the whole idea is I've got about an hour of nothing. It's dark outside, it's quiet inside, it's just me and a cup of coffee. And what I'd gotten into the habit of doing, even during the pandemic, instead of getting up like I had done for years, decades, for decades I had been taught, get up in the morning, get a cup of coffee, get your Bible out and the first hour belongs to God. And so I would read my Bible, And I would pray. But during the pandemic, what I started to do is get up and see what the next thing was and scroll down and scroll down and scroll down. And if that's not enough, then I can go over and check the other news network and then I can go over to the other news network. And then if I have some time, I can go check my fantasy football team. And if that's not enough, I can at least check the scores from the night before on my ESPN app. And then guess what? An hour's gone by, people are getting up and it's time for me to get ready. And you know what that did to my faith? just, it just, it starved my faith and it fed my fear because all I'm looking down is like coronavirus this and closing this and what about this? And then people's opinion on that. And well, you're woke and you're whatever. And then pretty soon you are in the rabbit hole. And that's where the people get right here. And so when we look at, when you look at this whole story, there's two, there's two things that he gives us here that I wanna challenge you guys with. Because what you see here is is two. you see the presence of the Lord. What are the two things you gotta feed? The presence of the Lord in your life, and I'll talk about that, and then the promises of the Lord because it's the promised land. Again, the opposite of fear is not doubt. If you got some questions that you hadn't gotten answered, man, bring them. Let's talk about them. Where would Cain get his wife or whatever? Those are great questions. There's very few questions that can't be answered in like about a five-minute Google search anyway, but the bottom line is, You're either gonna feed your faith or you're gonna feed your fear. And feeding your faith requires action. Feeding your fear requires nothing. Nobody's nobody's gonna wake up tomorrow morning and go, man, today is a great day to live in dread. I mean, today, today is a great day to take a stroll in the barren wilderness. Nobody's waking up like that. All you gotta do is just do nothing and you will be carried along in that. And so you gotta feed it. How are you gonna feed it? Number one. Let me give you two. Number one, the promises of God. This is the promised land. This is a promise that God had made way back in Genesis 15. And here's here's what I know, and you know this is true as well. Trusting God if things are hard is very, very difficult. When things are really difficult, especially if that thing goes on and on and on, we've talked about it 10 times before, it's not the depth of the trial that's difficult, it's the duration of the trial that makes it difficult. If you don't know when it's gonna end, it's just like you can hang on for a week or you can suck it up for a month, but when it starts dragging on for month after month after month after month after year, if you don't understand how do I lay hold of the promises of God, then you are going to fail. And so the promises of God, how do I do that? How do I get a hold of those? How do I hold on to them? Think about it this way. Think about a promise from the Lord as a receipt that you get before you get your product. So you go up and you buy something. It's like, for example, like I go to a feed store to get deer corn and stuff like that. So I go up there in the front, I pay for it. They give me a receipt. I have to drive in the back in order to put those bags of deer corn in the back of the pickup. But in the meantime, from the front door to the back door, I have a receipt in my hand. If there's any question about whether or not I own those four bags of deer corn, that receipt says, guess what? This is mine, it has been purchased. What you have to understand is you make, you claim a promise today, you claim the promise. You're like, how do I do that? I'm gonna tell you in a second claim the promise, and it's not until the next day that you actually receive the answer to it. This time in between is called walking by faith. Now, let's let's be honest. If the time between when you claim that promise and when you see that promise answered, if that time was like two hours, it's no problem at all. But what happens when it's two days or two weeks or two years or two decades? And so God is like, Sympathetic. He's like, listen, I don't want you to doom scroll. I don't want you to be thinking about how bad, I want you to understand I've made you some promises. You're like, how do I do not get a promise? How do I get a promise? Well, God has given us two great gifts. Gift number one is the Holy Spirit of God. So just ask God, hey, would you give me one promise? There's 3,000, somebody counted them up, 3,000 promises. And I know somebody's gonna go, well, they're not all applicable to us. And what about this Old Testament? Listen, I understand that and some are not but also the Bible says that in some way, some gospel-centered way, that every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ, in some way. Second gift God has given you is is a a deal called Google, okay? Because all you gotta do, all you gotta do is type in God's promises for blank, and you'll get like 10 of them. God's promises for my marriage. God's promises for my addiction. God's promises for my loneliness. God's promises for my anger. God's promises for my depression. Boom, you're gonna have like more than you can count and just lay hold of one of them. Second one. And this is a little bit, it kind of makes people a little nervous, but you gotta see it. What did he say in verse nine? Go ahead and look at your Bible or your app. What's he saying in verse nine, right at the end? What's the reason? What's the reason they have confidence? The reason they have confidence, it says, Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. So Christian, you have to have, there's a guy way hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, by the name of Brother Lawrence and he wrote a bunch of books and stuff. One of the old dead guys that has some awesome stuff to say, but he had a book called, Practicing the Presence of God. And then what he's talking about is kind of what I'm gonna say now. And that is, he said, for the believer, obviously God is with you. Theologically, he is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter eight says, listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer to begin with. So if you are a believer, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the tree lives on the inside of you. Secondly, just in the sense of the omnipresence of God and the fatherhood of God, God is with you also like a best friend in a stadium full of people you don't even know thirdly God is with you when you're going through a difficult time he says he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit so if your heart is broken and your spirit is crushed God even though it might feel differently God is not running away from you God is rolling up his sleeves and moving towards you as you navigate this in faith but I tell you one that I don't even understand exactly how it works but it's amazing when you think about this let me give you one verse you can look it up later Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25 says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Christ follower, do you understand in some way that maybe we can never understand the second person of the Trinity is actually praying for you right now? That's crazy. Somebody said, if you could could picture Jesus Christ in the next room praying for you, you would fear nothing. So I mean, just think about it. Think about if you're sitting there in one room and that other room of your house, Jesus Christ is on his knees. He's next to a sofa, he's next to a couch. His nail-pierced arms are stretched out and he is praying for you and he's like, God, I'm just gonna pray for Lisa. Give her, give her discernment and endurance and and patience as she walks through this difficult time. God, I wanna pray for John right now. John's going through some tough time. He's fearful. He doesn't have a lot of confidence. He doesn't know how to read the Bible to his kids, but he wants to. God, would you please give him the courage and the faith to take that step of faith? And if we just, if I could have pictured that during the pandemic, I wouldn't have whined so much. Seriously. I wouldn't have thrown wedges in the tree like I told you. So whole point is, the presence of God, he is with you. And so when you look at this, please understand, verse nine says they rebelled against the Lord and it's not what they did, it's what they didn't do. Most of the time, churches think about sin and rebellion as stuff that we do. And so we say, don't do this and don't do that and don't, Smoke or chew or go out with girls that do or whatever the, you know, the filthy five are, or the dirty tent, whatever. You know, that's so, it's stuff that we do. You and I need to understand, in this case, he calls what they didn't do rebellion against God. That God had said, listen, I have a promise I want you to walk in faith with. And they're like, ah, no, we're gonna stay here. We're gonna play it safe. And it's called rebellion. And so faith is action. That's what you gotta understand. Faith is action. Faith is actually believing God and then acting on it. That's what you see throughout the scriptures. Even if, and you're like, I don't have a lot of faith. Even if it's like a little, tiny, little mustard seed faith. A little faith in a big God is so much better, so much better than big faith in you. They didn't have that. Joshua and Caleb were like, man, we are master craftsmen. We are amazing swordsmen, none of that. All they said is, listen, God has given this to us and God will be with us, that's, all, that's the only thing they have. So here's what I looked at, I looked at a, uh, we don't turn to it, but there's a place called a, the Hall of Faith. And it's in the New Testament book, the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, what you'll see is, it's kind of cut in half, or chapter 11 is cut in half. And the first part is the one most people go to and the second part is the one most people skip. Because the first part, and they're all about action. But the first part, it's that stuff about, by faith they did this, by faith they did that. And if you notice, there's all this action stuff in there. By faith they offered, by faith they built an ark, by faith they obeyed. By faith they went to live in a land they didn't even know. By faith they kept the Passover, by faith the walls came down. So here's what, uh, just looking back. In 30 AD at Caesarea Philippi, 12 young men, We're told, on this I will build my church. In 32 AD, Jesus talks to 120 people and says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And in 42 AD, by faith, Mark goes to Egypt. In 51 AD, by faith, Paul goes to Greece. In 52 AD, by faith, Thomas goes to India. In 174, by faith, the first Christian is noted in Austria. In 280, by faith, the first church springs up in Italy. In 350, 32 million Romans by faith say Jesus is Lord. In 596, by faith, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to England and they baptize 10,000 people in the first two years. In 635, by faith, the first Christian missionaries go to China. In 740, by faith, Irish monks go to Ireland. In 900, by faith, missionaries reach Norway. In 1554, by faith, there's 1,500 new Christians in Thailand. In 1612, by faith, there is a Baptist congregation started in London, England. In 1671, by faith, missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. In 1889, Fernhill Baptist Church is founded in Asheville, North Carolina. In 1902, by faith, plans to build a new church on land given by George Vanderbilt. In the early 1990s, a struggling church hit their knees on a gym floor and by faith cried out to God in repentance and said, by faith, let us reach our neighborhood with the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus. By 2012, that church was the, one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the whole country. By faith, they saw over 500 people baptized every single year. In 2020, by faith, that church reached out and were more generous than they've ever been before to their neighbors and the nations. In the summer of 2022, that church has seen over almost 400 people just in this summer come to faith in Christ and follow that through believer's baptism. So here's what I want to say. You got to respond to the gospel. Here's the, here is the... Here is the banner that cannot be written over your life or our lives. Jesus said, or the Bible says about Jesus, it says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He said, he, Jesus, did not do many mighty works in their midst, why, why would he not do it? Was he not capable? No, it says, because of their unbelief. That means they didn't get to see families brought together. They didn't get to see marriages mended. They didn't get to see addictions broken. They didn't get to see people healed. What was the reason? It simply says because of their unbelief. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. It's gonna vary across campuses. It's gonna vary across counties. It's gonna vary across this room. That by faith, you're gonna, some of you need to say, by faith, I'm gonna read the Bible to my kids. Never done that before. Scares me to death. But by faith, I'm gonna read the Bible with my kids. By faith, I'm gonna stay in this marriage. I'm gonna pull the papers out of the divorce court. By faith, I'm gonna turn to Jesus and surrender to the Lordship of Christ that said what she did on that cross that counted for me. By faith, I'm gonna obey God in my finances. Some of you need to say, you know what, by faith, I'm gonna continue to cry out to God for my prodigal daughter or my prodigal son. Others of you need to say, by faith, I'm gonna go on a mission trip By faith, I'm gonna get out of this destructive relationship. By faith, I'm gonna get into biblical community. By faith, I'm gonna sign up for a starting point or get baptized. By faith, I'm gonna sponsor a compassion child. By faith, I'm gonna actually get up out of my comfortable seat in the back of Hendersonville or the back of Brevard or the back of Arden. And by faith, even though it scares me to death, I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna pray at the altar. That's what I'm gonna do by faith.